Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast, and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode one, and we have a very special guest, Sean Byrne. Sean has 20 years experience in the betting world. Based in Australia, Sean has worked with the likes of TAB Sportsbet and Luxbet, as well as Betfair. He has a broad range of experience from fixed odds sports betting to racing as head of trading, general manager and consultant. Sean was kind enough to take some time out to chat with me about everything from in-play betting to finding your edge and what the information era of betting is currently facing. Sean is obviously an established and accomplished professional in the betting world, so it was great to chat with Sean and get his thoughts about the business of betting. You can find us at www.businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback, uh, potential future guests, or anyone else that you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy my chat with Sean Byrne. Sean, thank you very much for joining us and, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks very much, Jake. So, Sean, I think uh, as an introduction, it'd probably be best to get a, a little bit of background about yourself, um, how you got into the betting industry and uh, became a professional. Um, so, why don't you start um, by just going through the early days of Sean Byrne and how you got involved? So, born and bred, as uh, quite a lot of people are in the um, gambling profession. Father, uncle, grandfather, all bookmakers. Um, so, I grew up at a time, I suppose, you know, having a bet, um, interested in betting, interested in racing, interested in even what at that time, the very infancy of sports betting within Australia. Um, I worked at a bank for a while. I moved my way over to work for uh, a fellow named Colin Tidy at his business called City Index, and then just progressed there, went on off to work for TAB, New South Wales TAB, um, TAB Corp, started the bottom rung and ended up, uh, I suppose, running or being the head of TAB Sportsbet bookmaking, um, general manager of Luxbet bookmaking, um, head of wagering at Betfair, so plenty of, a few different roles, all, you know, senior roles into the wagering uh, and bookmaking arm of the, the corporate bookmakers. Okay, so we'll, we'll touch on the bookmaking side, certainly, as well as the betting side. Um, you mentioned both, I think everyone in Australia would know, the TAB, of course, and then also Betfair. So when you started out uh, years ago in the game, obviously, the T- was the TAB the biggest back then? And, and what influence or, I guess, impact on the market uh, has Betfair had, certainly, in the past uh, you know, five to ten years or something like that? So, New South Wales TAB was pretty big at the time within Australia, naturally. Um, it was before the TAB Corp merger, um, although I helped oversee the TAB Corp merger as well. Um, you know, you had the likes of Centibet, Sportsbet. Well, Centibet was very small at that time. Sportsbet, even at that day, was was before Matthew Tripp became involved. Um, so, look, majority of stuff was, you know, well, I suppose it was the infancy of even taking bets on the internet. So, uh, look, I remember Centibet and Sportsbet were just faxing out sheets. So the tab was very strong, um, kicked off with the NRL, um, or final series and so on. Um, look, it, it was mostly a cash business then, and now it's obviously, I think, vast majority of it's digital business, although the cash business is still very strong. 
interestingly enough, sort of a 2006 World Cup, I think, was still their, their highest record or the, the highest holding World Cup they've had. So it shows a little bit of their dominance has changed. Whilst they're actually turning over more, it's a slightly different impact where they're really running now tab court with those fixed odds uh, betting and, and, and the sports, whereas the digital arm has taken back over some of the sports stuff that, you know, the word global sports, I suppose, more so. But it was certainly a very different marketplace back then with far less uh, competition for the tabs. So it was a, it was a different world, um, interesting world, but a different world. Betfair, Betfair's made a huge impact um, globally, um, even in Australia. It's made a good impact. It's never probably got to the size of the market that it would have liked to and, and possibly still could in Australia. Um, but it certainly holds a lot of sway over, you know, I suppose the the the, the way the markets trend um, being sort of more of a, a money market there. Um, no one can get barred, of course, um, you know, can accept all bets. Um, some of the smartest of the smart are, are underpinning it, I suppose, which is a, an interesting point. And, you know, just that exchange mentality of the Betfair yeah, it does lend itself to, you know, the professional punters. So it's quite an interesting, um, interesting uh, variance to the, to I suppose traditional bookmaking. You mentioned some of the olden day, I guess, uh, techniques and with the fax machine and things like that, and now with obviously the online uh, digital presence of almost all the bookmakers here in Australia, certainly and and around the world. I'm interested in. I guess 10 or 15 years ago, without the ability, I guess, of computers and computing power as it is today, uh, how much time back then was spent on, you know, bookmaking strategy, um, I guess, without the ability of, you know, algorithms and computers and things like that, as opposed to now where you have so much at your fingertips, um, so much data, so much information uh, available to the bookmakers. Were there strategies even back then that were used to... uh, I guess the strategy behind the bookmaker, uh, when and how they accepted bets, you know, bets that were one or two minutes before, you know, start time or jump time as opposed to, uh, you know, hours before. Were there any, you know, key strategies that were used back then uh, without the ability of the computers like there are now? Well, look, I, I think one thing that I think it's a sort of a, you know, a great misnomer of sort of the modern day or current day bookmaking that has this view that you know even at the start of my experience in sort of you know early 2000s that you know computer power wasn't used and and quantitative techniques weren't used and scientific techniques weren't used i mean certainly um you know even back in those times we were doing obviously more granular than what your level of data you can get now and what you can get down into but there was always data available and we always used it. You know, we always ran Monte Carlo simulations. You know, I can remember doing that back in the year 2000. Um, You know, we, um, you know, did a lot of work on, on what was the mathematics underpinning the markets. Um, And also, you know, the mathematics of, of bookmaking. Um, In fact, I suspected vast majority of, of the bookmaking staff these days have very little understanding of the true mathematics of the bookmaking. I, I suspect if you asked most of them about the percentages of, of, of books, you know, they'd struggle to work it out without a computer. So I actually think, you know, in a lot of ways, the 
the bookmakers previously were as scientific as what they are now. Now, as you quite rightly pointed out, there's far more data available and you can sort of go down on things into a much deeper level, but in an easier manner. Um, and it's, it's not that that data wasn't necessarily available, it was just harder to, you know, get your hands on or you had to work harder to to, to try and, you know, gather the information and and uh, drill into it. So, um, you know, certainly there was a lot of time spent on that. There's a lot of time spent on the risk mitigation. There was a lot of time spent on considering what the customers were uh, or who they were and, and, you know, where customers won and, and what they won on. So I don't think it's anything particular. The difference, as you say, is, is far more, you know, you know the data science of the world that that can take a lot more data and and pick up and, and c- compare a lot more things in once. Um, you know the risk departments of of the modern day bookmakers. Well, again, you know we used to do that sort of thing, but the, I suppose the bookmakers did it in itself. It wasn't you know split from um, the the thing the the bookmaking traders would would you know I'd spend a lot of time sitting there and asking them all. You know, go through these customers' bets or those customers' bets. Let's, you know, have a think about it and have a look at where they may be, you know, an angle they may have that we can't see or an angle that we may be able to use uh, further or how do we change our models to, um, I suppose, trump those angles or edges that, that they may have. Um, so I think it's it's always been a very similar type process in, in, in you know, in historical bookmaking is is still very much the same as what it was albeit as i say um with more ability to more quickly get into data these days okay so i guess as now it seems to be that we're in this information age of wagering there's a lot more information available uh computing power is different now than it was um do you think that reduces the ability of the the punter or the better to get an edge um in that there's so much information out there that they can use all this new computing power to, you know, create different algorithms, create different ways to bet that potentially weren't possible. Um, and then obviously on the flip side, do you think that with so much information out there, there is a lot of noise, there is a lot of information that uh, may not be valuable, that may be seen to be valuable, that can cause a further edge? Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, you, you know, as I say, the and as I touched on a minute ago, it is far easier to to uh, access the information. It's far easier to you know, analyze the information, and and I think it's a great thing. Um, you know, it's not just the gambling industry. There's such great information out there about any topic you you know want to delve into or understand or, or of any interest. But particularly in the gambling industry, I mean, particularly sports betting. You know, the racing. There's more and more data available. People are putting it into a position where you can analyse it. Um, there's plenty of data services now out there on racing. Um, the TRB's been doing this sort of thing for many years, but you know there are others coming to light. And I think from a punning perspective, there's still ways to find an edge, um, no doubt. Um, the way to find an edge, and you talked about noise, and it's same from a bookmaker's point of view, you still need to find what's of interest. So a punter needs to find an edge into the market 
looking at information that look i always say to people look at what makes sense to you to start with find a way you know factors that you think make sense to you and analyze those factors and start there because then it sort of tends to lead you into well i'll look at this or i'll look at that or maybe this isn't the case or maybe that is the case you know hypothesize what you think might be the case and then go away and 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 just see where it leads you um you know head down that track be be flexible, be free in what your mind is thinking rather than, you know, going into something and trying to confirm or, conf- you know, suffering a confirmation bias and trying to confirm what you think rather than testing it. So I think there's still a lot of ways to find an edge. From a bookmaker, there's, again, you know, they've got the same information. Generally, they've got the more, um, the, the difficulty for a lot of punters is the the big syndicates that help control the pricing now, which make it moderately or a lot more efficient. And the bookmakers obviously have big teams of people doing this and, you know, can afford to spend on, you know, large data and great programs to run and and look into it. But, you know, if you you spend the time, you can still find an edge. Um, Whether that edge is going to last forever, well, it almost certainly won't. Um, You need to refine it. Um, And then... You know, work from there. Look, I remember I had an, what I perceived as an edge back in sort of 2004, 5, 6. I was betting on the Premier League and Division 1, or the Championship as it's called now, uh, totals nearly predominantly and went through many accounts that kept getting barred, you know, from Bet365 and so on and so forth. Now, that's, you know, 12, 13 years ago when I suppose the information is, is, is more accessible. So that edge is sort of dwindled away um um but you know you still manage to go out and find an edge you just got to work at it and be flexible and you know refine and you know regress and have a look and once it's not working turn around and have a look at something that may work so how valuable in your mind is that market intelligence you mentioned that the professional syndicates do shape a lot of the markets so do you put more or less weight to that now because Obviously, if you're doing your own models or you're doing your own pricing um, and you're putting in your own metrics or advanced analytics and then the market intelligence is telling you something different, do you put more or less weight to that because you know that the professionals uh, are shaping that market to a large degree? Yeah, you absolutely can't ignore what the market is telling you. It would be folly to to you know assume that any money market is uh, completely inefficient. I think... There at times it is overplayed. I think at times, you know, particularly earlier in the betting. I mean, the the, the real big syndicates, you know, particularly in in thoroughbred racing, it's there. It's you know, a lot of their modus operandi, a lot of their job is ensuring that you don't know what they're doing prior to jump. I mean, it's why a lot of them are still very much towed on your, or uh, you know, uh, paramutual orientated. You know, they they'll still pull push a button in the last minute, so you can see it. You know, the football, you know, the big Premier League games and that, it's become far more efficient, than, in my opinion, than what it previously was. That said, I haven't spent any time analysing it for the last, you know, few years, um, just from a personal timing perspective and, and other interests. But, you know, from racing perspective, you can't ignore it. You have to, You have to acknowledge the market trends. You have to learn to try and look and understand and read what they are because of course you're doing it completely blind to what is causing markets to move you know times you see betfair moving and and it's in moving in a logical way and well you know it's just 
a punter that's not a professional punter that is betting highly into illiquid markets. And you see that you see the the you know the bookmakers that are prices that are all following it, they all tend to go off and 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 you know punters would react and you do have to try and avoid that sort of situation. So you've you know you've really got to try and you know do the work, spend your time, you, you know train your eye to be able to try and note what is a, 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 a you know is is a true market movement and what sometimes potentially isn't. And one of the things I like to do is, you know, when I do my pricing, um, I, I don't always look at purely positive factors. I, I like to, you know, suggest or, you know, note to myself what might be some or some positive or negative factors over and above what my pricing may say. And you start to see, well, if a horse looks, you know, that it may be going to get a bad run and the market starts to become soft, you know, you can start to think, well, you know, maybe the marketplace out there is is, is, is agreeing with me. So you, you just want to look at factors. You don't want to just be hard and fast, um, you know, this is my opinion and things like that, and look at factors, monitoring what the market's doing and, and think about why the market are betting into an illiquid market that you really want to completely ignore. In fact, at times you want to use that to your benefit because if you if you've got an opinion that that's the case, generally what's happening is the rest of the market is is becoming inefficient as that runner potentially that maybe a you know a thirty percent probability starts trading at a forty five percent probability on the back of you know someone that's not a professional punter. So you're still got to try and work that out. Now that's a lot of that's you know, a feel for that uh, to some extent or recognising market trends over, you know, a long period of sitting here doing it, I suppose. So is that's really fascinating to me, on the, especially on the bookmaking side because you mentioned that you need that trained eye um, and a lot of it is, is, to a certain extent, you know, gut feel. Um, you know, I always hear, and it's a pet peeve of mine, when commentators or special experts who are commenting on games use gut feel and eye test. But maybe is that a, is that a real... Is that a real factor that that is used certainly on the bookmaking side to monitor these things, or is there a, a you know a handbook on this? Is there is it always relying on mathematics, or is there is there something on the bookmaking side where you can quantify that somehow and say that these market moves in the last five minutes are more or less likely um, to be right, or let's say more right than not? Is that just experience and a trained eye, or is there a way that it can be quantified? No, you certainly can quantify it. You certainly can, and you do. I mean, everything I do is as a mathematical basis, uh, as you know, the vast majority of my, you know, I suppose opinion. Um, the from a bookmaking point of view, I think you still and and a lot of the bookmakers still have very experienced traders um, that will sit there because there is an instinct part to it. There's, there's there's no denying there's an instinct part to it. And there's an experience part to it that says, you know, if customer sh- if you know a customer or unknown customer shows up, what do you do? If, uh, you know, well, I look like in examples, uh, one of the, the places I worked at where all of a sudden on a day we have a customer was sight unseen, wanting to bet in, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, you know, you still need to know how to react to that. So there's still an instinctive response to that. 
Um, and you, because you can't just sit there and say to someone, okay, well, we don't want to beat you until we find out who you are and, you know, so on and so forth. You know, it was a cash-in customer, so you, you've, you've got to respect that. And, and, you know, you've got a lot of – most bookmakers have got sales teams out there running around trying to get customers. So as a bookmaker, you can't just sort of turn around and because the first bet comes through is – you know, doesn't meet your, you know, your profiles or or your, you know, is mathematically difficult to deal with or, you know, you have to manage the bet. If so, everything starts at the mathematics, but you've still got to be instinctive in what you, in what you think. I, I And, you know, realistically, even from a, from the bookmakers, the bookmakers have a lot in their favour because naturally they've got the percentages in their favour. So bookmakers can afford to be wrong and have an error rate. Well, most punters can't afford such an error rate too often. And a vast majority of punters aren't capable of working out a a pure mathematical program that says, here is my price and absolutely I'm going to 100% stick to the numbers. Um, they just don't have the bandwidth or the ability to do that. And you must remember that when you're in punting and 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 bookmaking you know you are going head to head with the smartest of the smart so you do have to use all that analytical information but i still think there's a lot lot to play for that um i i don't like to hear the word gut feeling it's it's just instinctiveness it's intuition it's it's experience the repetitive nature of managing books um the repetitive nature of trading sitting here trading um, you know, race after race after race. You, you know, you can't completely dissuade your own brain or, 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 you know, deny your own your own thought processes within it. I think vast majority of it has to be quantitative. You know, a high uh, proportion of it is quantitative, but you can't take away for the majority of people. I, I think trying to completely take away, um, I suppose, what you can see and what you sit down and and what you instinctively know. Well, you know, I think it's actually a fault to some people. They they try too hard to make everything purely numbers and, you know, you, you, some people just don't have that depth of knowledge. So looking ahead then, where do you think uh, in the future that wagering can get to or will get to or what have you seen uh, in recent times that suggests with advancements uh, in the data and the databases or video technology and tracking and things like that, you know, where where do you think it's leading to? So I suppose just quickly back on that previous point, the, the, the last thing I'd sort of say is find what's right for you. I mean, find what's work. Measure it, you know, as I said earlier, you know, keep your notes as a punter, as a bookmaker, and, and go back and work out what's right for you. And if your instinct's wrong, you need to change your, you know, change your modus operandi. Where do I think um, that it's all going? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, particularly in Australia, the, the, the corporate bookmakers have sort of grown, um, um the gambling, um, the wagering has has grown obviously, you know, rapidly. Um, the you know, there's quite a lot of interesting things constantly. It's a constantly evolving thing. I mean, the new legislations that are coming in, federal legislation against you know interactive betting and or in play betting, I should say. Um, some of the advertising is going to go. Um, you know, I can see. Mergers, I can see acquisitions, you know, quite a lot. Um, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting 
way that it moves the digital world is upon us you know everyone's working hard at their apps and their their online presence the streaming um as we've talked about the, the information that bookmakers uh, are now incorporating into their um sites you know there was probably a time where bookmakers would would think why would i why would i tell people um uh, give them information to or access to smart information or all the information and why don't I hold that back for myself so I've got a greater edge well that's sort of you know sort of narrow mindedness has gone and, and now it's you know it, it is very much making it an entertaining um, I suppose pastime for the customer you know it's not purely just having a bet you know and go away you know it's 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 trying to keep the customer involved and and at, at a constant rate, but you know I think I think it's quite interesting the way that the market's going to to move um, over the next few years. I can see the the, the real big boys getting bigger. Um, as I say, I think there'll be mergers around that middle tier of corporate bookmakers. Some of the smaller smaller bookmakers will survive. Um, and you know others will probably get picked off at different times as they're um you know under pressure but you know if they can if they've got good active customer lists so they, they become somewhat um attractive opposition particularly with the expense it is in australia for uh, customer acquisitions just astronomical in australia so you know sometimes it's just easy to go and buy a client list by purchasing a, a, a business that you know may or may not be um able to scale to size so, looking ahead then, um, with regards to, I guess, any, any changes that do eventu- eventuate um, and anything, whether it's easy to predict or not, you've certainly had experience in setting up and leading corporate books. Do, you, do bookmakers always expect or want to be or need to be at the vanguard of these changes or always to be first, or are they certainly reliant on what the syndicates are doing, what the smartest professionals are doing, and then incorporate that, um, or are they always desperate to be the ones who are ahead? From a pricing perspective, they they need to try to be ahead, but a lot of it is is um, I suppose is reactive to the customers. So they, in a lot of ways, they the bookmakers now purely react to the customers. You know, they don't want customers that cost them money. Um, um, whether they win off them or don't lose enough, so you know, there's a lot of lot of them are out there just looking at the marketplace, allowing the marketplace to drive their prices. Um, there's there's not that much to it. The the bigger ones, the tab corps and sports bets, they're spending a lot of money on developing their their um, intellect. But equally, I think the the strength in what the corporate bookmakers are doing now, and they've recognised and the last few years is just a massive growth in um i suppose product related products and it sounds sounds a bit silly but rather than i think you're seeing the the life of the free bets and so on start to diminish and i think you know the likes of the bundle bet that the tabs has come out with be it right or wrong cash out was a very good element i mean cash out was an overseas driven product you know came out of the uk first you know these sorts of things are 
are where the, the, the corporate book makers are pushing themselves to. So they, they really, they try and clamp down on anyone that, that can win, you know, um, uh, the minimum bet rules mean that they have to play them, so they, they do want that intelligence. But far more of their spend is in, in that product, you know, making that product uh, more and more entertaining. You know, you see a sports bet ad the other day about take a multi within the same game. You know, these type of things will be attractive, particularly to your casual customers. And that's where, rightfully now, they are starting to spend their money and their, their intellect. And, and that'll continue. And I think that to that extent as well, the next, you know, I suppose arms race to some extent is the likes of these feed processes that come through um, the sports radars of the world, making those, again, as efficient as you can. And, and the way you pick up on that as, as, as efficient as you can to keep your costs low and also drive the, the you know, the... The, the, your book to be as efficient as what it can. So, you know, I think it's a twofold thing. I think they they aren't needing to spend as much on pure analytics of of the markets because they are driving the the customers to higher um, yielding products and avoiding as much as they can the smarter customers. And you know, at a point where you know the minimum bet rules, I don't think they've seemingly had a great effect on sports bets bottom line well that's probably because they're just so top heavy now in casual customers so you know at the end of the day you know, a lot of the bookmakers would would do better to spend more time working out how to attract more casual customers and tip the balance of their turnover you know largely in that way rather than spending so much time worrying about you know every single person managed to back a winner for instance um, so I think that's where it'll head again. The, the, the product-driven businesses will really, you know, push on and develop, and that's where the, you've got to be. Great websites, great apps, you know, interesting products, um, interesting experience, and that's that's where they'll drive on. And you know, the big syndicates will will continue to play in the paramutual world, continue to play in the Betfair world, where they sort of somewhat play off against each other, and and you know, the the, the professional punters. Will continue to eke out a living, and, and you know I think that's sort of the way it ought to be. So, do you think Betfair um, has any part to play in this? Because, as you mentioned, the professionals and corporate bookmakers seemingly is going to be a difficult marriage going forward. Uh, certainly, with the shifts in the the I guess attracting customers and trying to turn you know the casual better um, into their I guess main or major customers more so with a lot of the promotions and the specials and the different type of sports offerings they have now. Um, do you think the professional bettors have any future with the corporate bookmakers or do you think, as you mentioned, paramutuals will be the key and and with, I guess, a lot of on-course bookmaking sort of disappearing as it was in the in the past, um, that is there a role for Betfair? Is it simply that paramutuals uh, or syndicates will have to get smaller and, and try and reduce turnover? Is, and is liquidity the aim for those professionals in the future? Yeah, well, absolutely. Liquidity is the key. I mean, they they're desperate for liquidity. I mean, every every market they can bet into that's got enough liquidity, they will do, and 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 they will invest in. I mean, they they won't ignore low liquidity markets either. But of course, it, it restricts the amount you can turn over on the liquidity. Um, look, I, I think the minimum bet rules have been good for the likes of me. Certainly, I know. Um, I suppose where my 
turnover had shifted more to sport. Um, it shifted somewhat back to racing. So at the moment I'm running about probably 60-40 racing. Now, that's partly my my own doing. Um, um, but, you know, the... The, the the benefit of it all is, I suppose, is that you can you're now able to have a bet, and and I think you have to you, you should be entitled to have a bet um, with a corporate bookmaker at the product that they're offering. Um, I understand all the the virtues of of you know not wanting to bet to customers that are going to take your profitability, but however, um, that sort of thing has 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 benefited. Um, as I said, another uh, large interesting thing is going to be the, the, the with the federal legislation around the credit. Um, the early sort of you know trends was that or the, the the way that the legislation had been written, they were going to sort of bar all credit. Um, that'll take away quite a an interesting element of liquidity that is um, you know is attractive to all the 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 bookmakers and also all the um, professional syndicates, which is, I suppose, the the more casual but higher turnover customer. So, you know, the people that are having larger bets but are of a casual nature, and by casual nature, in definition, I suppose, generally a losing nature. So, you know, that's, that's going to change the face of a lot of the businesses again. You know, some of the, uh, you know, the sports bets of the world have got a bigger cash businesses now, but again, they've still got a very big arm of people. And a lot of the, the, the people that are betting into the, to Betfair uh, late um, uh, with Betfair that's a, a cash-in um, business, you know, they'll, they'll be able to continue on. Um, and the Paramutuals, which has always been a cash-in. So, you know, they'll they'll sort of be there for the professional punters. And I think, you know, with the mooted Tats Tabcorp uh, merger, there would hopefully be you know, it sounds silly when you're talking about, you know, potential monopolies, but if and when they do merge, you would hope that they would start to look at, you know, takeouts and, and the legislation around takeouts and allow those those takeouts to be, you know, potentially a little bit more competitive um, to drive it back down towards where, I suppose, the, the, the fixed odds markets are going. Um and I think that's the future, and I, uh, you know. But I still think, you know, you can you can make a living. You certainly can't turn over as much as what you used to be able. To. I used to turn over far more um, uh, before the the sort of you know the, the risk adverse nature of it all. Um, so you know, it is it's this you know only only several books in in Australia that, that you can even bet on sport with. Um, so you know, it is it is difficult. Um, but you know, I, I think I think there is still a you know, uh, an opportunity there. That said, you know, it's a great business and, and, and to work into. So, you know, there's always options, you know, to work into the business Yep. or in okay. the industry. I have a couple more quick questions, but one more main touch point I wanted to get to was in-game betting. And obviously there's different approaches around the world. Um, and I've heard many people say that in Australia um, – certainly missing out on that in-game aspect um, and the potential turnover that in-game could provide, uh, whether that's through, you know, corporate bookmakers, Betfair, things like that. And, and certainly with your experience in sports and not just in Australia, but around the world, um, if you were advising the government or advising, you know, or talking to someone about the potential for in-game and what it could bring or whether it's a, you know, a positive or a detriment, uh, what is your 
elevator pitch uh, either way on in-game sports betting or even in-game betting, you know, in general? Well, I think it's a, a, a great concept and, and, and I think it's fantastic like, you know, any any new product within the um, the bookmaking or wagering industry. I, you know, I, I love the new products. I, I, I enjoy live betting um, as much as it's difficult here in Australia. Um, I think all these things, um, and I'm a great advocate for, you know, I suppose responsible gambling. You know, it's a, you know it's a buzzword. I suppose and everyone everyone says they are great advocates for it, um, but it, it, we we certainly can't let the in-play betting, in my opinion, turn into a you know a poker machine type thing. I think the problem is um, that from a government perspective. Or and, and and from an overall perspective, why we can't get it into Australia, and and in my humble opinion, I suppose where I don't think it's going to get into Australia is an online uh, uh, um, um, market, is that it's federally legislated, and the federal government don't get any benefit out of allowing it because the, the taxes are collected at state government level. So federal governments are, are, are you know can make decisions over mines and you know anything that's going to make them you know make the federal budget billions of dollars well it's a pretty simple case to say oh well let's let's clamp down on gambling where we can they can't touch poker well they should but it's very difficult for the federal governments to touch poker machines um the state governments are you know too too full up or except for wa on on the taxes um and so the federal government you know, I think sees it as as quite an easy case to say, oh well, let's just, you know, keep pushing back uh, in play online, and let's look at the, the the devilish nature of this and that in in a in a in a wagering landscape or gambling landscape that they can still control or feel they can still control. And I think that's one of the problems for for the sports betting or the the, the wagering industry is that it's difficult um, when you're trying to convince a federal government to allow things that you can offer them little or, or not great revenue from. Um, and and I think, you know, it might be a very simplistic view on the world, but that's, I suppose, my view. Um, do I think that's right? No, I don't think it's right. Do I think it's going to change? Well, no, I don't think it's going to particularly change, you know. I don't like this idea of you know, we're all going to be barred from betting with Pinnacle. You know, we're all going to be barred from betting offshore. Now, there may be ways around it. That's fine. But, you know, realistically, you know, there, there shouldn't be these walls put up. You now, um, I do understand the, the people not wanting people betting into the Asian exchanges and that, that huge turnover going offshore. But, you know, that's a whole cyclical argument about why is that turnover going offshore. But the in-play stuff, look, I'd love for it to come online. I'd love trading in-play. Um you know, do I see it happening? Um, not really. I, I, I really struggle to see it happening. And look, I had this conversation with, you know, some of the heads of, of, of Betfair UK five, six years ago, you know, and said, well, I just struggle to see it. So and not to say I'm right, I wish I wasn't, but, I'm, you know, I just struggle to see it. No, I, I certainly, I tend to agree with a lot of what you said. Um, and it is an interesting juxtaposition in Australia when you can walk down the street and see a, TAB or you can grab a, an iPhone or a, or a laptop at any time, open it up and have access to, you know, everything and anything, you know, you can bet on the Oscars or you can bet on some crazy things, but then, you know, in-game, which is certainly enormous at other parts of the world is, is, um, is not allowed. But anyway, that's, it's an interesting yeah. argument. And it, like you said, a lot of it is, is cyclical and 
with the federal federal government involved it's uh, i think i agree it's tough to see it shifting too much but you know we'll wait and see yeah um, yeah i guess well, so what's next for sean Byrne? you've obviously established yourself in the in the industry and you're very accomplished um so what what are you going to be up to next well i've um yeah i've spent the last couple of years to be honest at home with my uh, kids um got two five-year-olds and a and a three-year-old all girls so i've spent a good couple of years home with them they're all going off to school soon um look i've been studying um i think that's another important thing uh, you know i say to people go and learn you know read books if you'd like to read books you know i've been studying an mba um part of that is you know some economics courses and things like this so you know i've been studying and just starting now actually to go out there and, and put the feelers out there to get back into the corporate making game and in actual fact you know, probably more heading down the road of putting together, well, I have a business plan to, to pitch out there and, um, you know, and, and see see whether I can get some interest in, in going into the corporate domain because I still think there's many, many ways to get into it. Um, that said, if I can, if I have to, I, I may, may go it alone myself into a smaller nature. But, you know, you, from a smaller perspective, you really can't do anything until we know what the federal legislation is going to look like. So, you know, it has been something that's held me back for probably the better part of 18 months um, from from considering a, a bookmaking license because you, you just have to know what your playing field is it's, it's you know i feel sorry for a couple of the places that have just set up that that are, that are sort of going to walk into a, all of a sudden something's completely changed from what their business models would look like but no that's that's what i'm sort of out there out there looking for um, opportunities or things of interest other than that just keep plugging away and um you know earn my living out of uh, sitting in my office and uh spending time with my family and and making ends meet out of having a bit doesn't sound too bad for the time being um uh, you mentioned you're reading, some, you're reading some books and you're doing the mba I, I haven't asked you are you an avid podcast listener or are you more of a uh you know read turn the pages in a book type guy so look i'm probably not necessarily either i'm 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 not a huge book reader but i you know i i do enjoy i've enjoyed the study part of it i encourage people to to study you know um if you're not sure about mathematics go away and you know put yourself through a couple of a, you know you know some mathematics courses go to uni go you know online there's plenty of free courses online you know um and i think there's just so much information there that people are freely to share you know look even some of the bookmakers the pinnacle blog now that the, the betfair hub that they've got here in australia um the you know um they're free services and they're happy to put out you know brilliant articles that people can get an interest on you know joseph bookdale is another one that puts out a, a, a lot of his one to expert um um you know there's, there's a few others that i that i like to look at and follow i follow numerous financial traders on twitter i'm not a financial trader i've never been don't necessarily understand it all but i love the the notes and the and the, the links the things and they put up and they talk about trading and i think it's just immersing yourself in what you're trying to do you know get as much of that information around you and see what you you know pick up on and what interests you you know i'm not a, a great exponent of sitting down and reading 200 page books um probably time poor and and probably um you know maybe a failure in my perspective but that's what i like to do and as for uh, blogs look no i don't i don't tend to listen to too many blogs but again 
you know, there's a few out there. I spent a lot of time working up my, you know, expected goal models that I that I run on my A League. So, you know, I was out there looking for the information out there and what which way people look at it. And again, as I said earlier, you know, you go away and then work out what works for you. Interesting. So, I guess the last point is, where can people find you if they do want to get in touch? I know there's probably a, certainly some people out there interested in. Uh, having a chat to you or even, you know, consulting type stuff. You mentioned earlier, you know, about what might be next uh, or on the agenda for you. So if they do want to get in contact, uh, they certainly can through the podcast. But is there any specific way or best way that they can reach yeah, out look, to you? Yeah, through Twitter, through LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Sean Byrne. Uh, handles are at Sean Byrne. Um, you know, Hotmail, Sean Byrne at Hotmail.com, you know, and on LinkedIn. But, you know, I'm going to start putting feelers out there and, you know, I'll probably head down the, the, the track of, of doing some things for myself if I if I if nothing sort of comes along and that's quite interesting in itself. I've got some great ideas I think about, you know, not necessarily even monetizing, but just getting information out there and talking to people and, and you know, that'd be a good way to do it. But you no, know, certainly, uh if anyone's out there that uh, that uh, thinks that uh, they might want to have a look at the uh, corporate bookmaking, feel free to uh, contact. Well, Sean, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. I wish you all the very best, and we'd love to have you on again soon. Um, uh, it's been great chatting, and certainly um, if anything changes in the, the legislation landscape or, or anything like that, I'll certainly be reaching out to uh, have a chat about potentially what's coming up um, in the future. So once again, thanks a lot for coming on, and yeah, all the very best. No worries. Thanks, Jake, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.